what we're going to do is we're going to be in John 18 and 19 for the next three Sundays. These two chapters are chaos. There is, uh, if you try to go through this chronologically, you, you have uh, pictures that are, that are running back and forth. It's kind of like, remember the old Saturday morning serials and the Lone Ranger would be over here and Tano would be, they would be showing what was happening with Tano and then they'd say, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Right? Well, that's what we have happening in 18 and 19. And I want you to remember a couple of premises that we started out with the Gospel of John. Number one, John shows Jesus as the Son of God, his deity. And he's going to record things in his, uh, his synopsis of what happened on this last night on earth uh, in, before the cross. He's going to record it from that perspective. And there's a couple of things that he records that none of the other Gospels do. And the second premise is that John was the last of the Gospel writers to write. So he had seen what Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written. And so there are things that he doesn't include because he says, you guys got enough information already. One of those things is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, just as a reminder of where we're at in the Gospel of John, the Last Supper has occurred. They have left there, and they've gone out the eastern gate. They've gone down through, and Jesus has taught as they've gone down through the grape arbors and back up down the Kidron Valley, and now they're climbing back up Mount, the Mount of Olives. And they're going to come to a place in the Mount of Olives called the Garden of Gethsemane. And you can go there. You can, if you go on a tour of Israel, you can go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you'll see the huge olive trees that are thousands of years old that were planted before Jesus was born. They're still there today. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane is where we'll find... Jesus praying in the other, the other three gospel accounts. We find Jesus going there. He's sweating drops of blood. The stress is so bad he's called three of his disciples, James, John, and Peter, to come apart and pray with him. They've fallen asleep. And this is where we have those wonderful words. Father, not my will, but thine be done. John records none of that. Because the other Gospels have already, already taught us what we needed to learn from that. And John just records that, hey, we, we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where, where the betrayal is going to take place. And one of the things that you have to ask yourself, why, why the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, we need to understand, once again, what is going on here. It is Passover week. Now, the, Josephus tells us that the population of uh, Jerusalem, 
during Jesus' time was about 55,000 people. But when, when Passover would come, when the festivals would come, Passover, and then there's going to be, uh, the next one is going to be Pentecost, and then later on it's going to be the, the Festival of the Booths. Those are the three times that, that Israelites came to Jerusalem. And it would swell to, to 180 or 200,000 people. Now, can you imagine if we had 200,000 people or 150,000 extra people come to Albany? What would that look like? I mean, it would be crazy. You know, and we have all these hotels and motels to put up people in. They didn't have that. And so when Jesus would come to Jerusalem, now remember, what did Jesus say about his accommodations? The Son of Man doesn't even have a place to rest his head. And Luke tells us in Luke 21, now during the day he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane is. He would go there. As a matter of fact, in 22, Luke 22, he tells us, and he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. So what they would do is they would teach all day, and there would all be these thousands of people, and then he would leave the city. And he'd go out, and they would find just a kind of a, a, a nook, someplace up in the olive trees, and they all wore these big cloaks, right? And uh, they would wrap themselves up in the cloaks, and sleep out. Wouldn't that be, a, wouldn't that be awesome to, to sleep under the stars with Jesus? I, the creator of the stars, you know, and he's like, oh yeah, here, guys, you need to know about these things. But they, that's the way they lived. He was not somebody who checked into the Marriott because they have the best beds. They, they really do. He was sleeping on the ground with his disciples. And just earlier, when he told Judas at the Last Supper, go do what you need to do. Where did Judas know that he was going to go? As was his custom. He said, I know where Jesus is going to be. So, G so Judas slips off to betray Jesus. He goes and he finds the, the, the high priest and he says, I know where Jesus is going to be. And that's where we come to John chapter 18. Let's read verses 1 through 4. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with, with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron. And there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas, who was betraying him, knew the place. For Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And Judas then having received the Roman cohort and the officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And so Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom 
do you seek? And we're going to stop there because I want you to understand the chaos of what's going on here. Look at all the people involved. Now remember, we've got, we've got 180, 200,000 people that are over here in Jerusalem. Jesus has slipped out. He's up here on the, in the, the quietness of the garden. Now probably they weren't the only ones. There was probably other people kind of camped out throughout the Mount of Olives. It's a large place. But there's this group, right? And it says, it says that Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, now a cohort is about 500 men. 500 Roman soldiers. Now you'll read, if you read uh, any, any of the folks, the commentaries, some people say, oh, there's no way that, that the, they would give them 500 men. I don't know. It says that they gave them 500 men. Because who's this Jesus? According to the, the chief priest, he was a rabble-rouser. He was going to overthrow the Roman government. And the, and the Romans would have said, hey, we don't want that. And so the chief priest came, and they also had, what does it say? Their own officers. So to understand the Jewish culture, the Pharisees oversaw the temple guard. These were, this would be like having an armed police force for the temple itself. And if you'll remember back, there were several times that the Pharisees sent these temple guards to arrest Jesus. One time, it says they were trying to arrest him, and he kind of just disappeared. Went into the crowd. There's another time that they sent him, and, and Jesus started to speak, and they're like going, man, we can't arrest this guy because he's speaking the truth. And they came back, and they said, they said, where's he at? We've never heard a man speak this way. And these temple guards had the authority from the chief priests to arrest people and bring them before the Sanhedrin. But they also, in this case, they also had the Romans. And it says what? They came with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now what time is, is this? We know that they left the Last Supper. It's now dark. They've come down. Jesus has, has done a number of teachings. If we look at the other, other passages, it tells us that Jesus prayed for some time in the garden. Remember, it says, couldn't you keep your eyes open for one hour? And he's gone back and forth. So we're talking about the middle of the night. It's midnight in the garden. Now, if you're going to take somebody that you think is, is a bad actor, you're going to go in the middle of the night when they're asleep, right? You're going you're to try to surprise them. But how do you do that with all of these soldiers? Because remember, there's no, this is, this is ambient, no ambient light out there. All you have is the light of the moon. 
And they're coming from where? They're coming from Jerusalem, and they come down through the Kidron Valley and back up. So from the time they come out of the eastern gate with their lanterns and with their, with their swords and with their, their torches, Jesus would have seen them coming. He knew they were headed his way. Who else would they be coming for? And, I, and look at this crowd. I mean, even if you say they, they didn't bring all of the contention of the 500, which I, I personally believe they did, you have, you have these armed men with torches coming up through the valley. You knew that they were coming. This was not going to be a surprise attack. And what does Jesus say? Whom do you seek? <laughs> I love it when Jesus just takes everybody's wind out of their sails. Because they're ready for, they're ready for a fight, right? They've got their weapons on them. And, we're, and we see him, and he says, who do you seek? And then we're going to look at five and six. Jesus, and they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying them, was standing with them. So when he said it to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I am he. Now, how many of you in your Bibles, or if you're, watch, if you're looking in your, on your tablet or, or on your phone, that little word he is in italics. Anybody have that in their Bible? It's in italics. Or it's not there. You know why? Because the, the writers put that in for clarity. Literally, Jesus said, I am. Where have we heard that before? He is the great I am. When, when Moses asked, who shall I say sent me? What did God say? I am. I am that I am. The name which even the Hebrews would not speak. We call it Jehovah. Because there's really not a way to pronounce it. I am. And Jesus has all through the Gospel of John said, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man will come to the Father but by me. I am the true vine. And every time that he said, I am, what is he doing? He's proclaiming his deity. And as these soldiers come up against him, he says two little words, I am. And what happens? They all fell over. That's power, folks. That's the power of God. How do you react when you learn that Jesus is God? How do we react if we don't know who Jesus is and one day somebody tells us about his wonderful work? Somebody tells us that, did you know you're a sinner? 
But God has the remedy, and his name is Jesus, and he is the great I am. And that Jesus loved you so much that he died on a cross to pay for your sins. How do we react? Well, hopefully we fall to our knees and we say, Jesus saved me. And these men had no choice but to fall literally down in front of Jesus. Philippians 2, 9 9 through 11 tells us that one day every knee will bow. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus every knee will bow to those who are in heaven and those on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. One day each one of us we will have the opportunity to kneel before our Savior and say thank you. But those who've never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, those who say there is no God, there is no Creator, will one day kneel before Jesus Christ. And they'll have to confess the one thing that they couldn't confess here on this earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. But for them it will be too late. These Roman soldiers were knocked to their feet. They couldn't, they they got back up. (laughs) And, And verse 12, after they have this same conversation again, right? Who do you seek? And he says, I am Jesus, the Nazarene. Other passages tell us that Judas went up and kissed him on the cheek, so they made sure they got the right person the ultimate betrayal by Judas. And then in verse 12 we read this, And so the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. They bound him. Now if you just got knocked on your backside by the fact that all he said was, I am, you have to wonder why they put him in handcuffs. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? But they were so afraid of him. And he was a man of peace. He didn't resist. They let him do that. And it says they bound him and they led him off. Now we're going to look at six trials of Jesus this night. Now once again, this is chaos that's going on. And in between all of this, if we were to read through, you're going to see what Peter's doing, and we'll look at that next week. And you're going to see how he goes through different uh, interactions with the Romans and with with the temple guard. But there are six trials that we're going to look at. The first one was Ananias. Ananias was the past chief priest. It was his son was Caiaphas, was the current chief priest. It was his son-in-law, excuse me. Caiaphas was his son-in-law. Ananias, if you look through, he hates Jesus, and he hates everything he stands for. And he has the political pull. I mean, he is surviving by the mere greed 
of what is happening at the temple. And Ananias, we will see him even into the book of Acts. He was the one, Ananias is the one who tells, who brings Peter and John up on charges. He hates the fact that Jesus is, a, is claiming to be the Son of God. And so Ananias is the first trial, then he's going to go to Caiaphas, the current high priest, and then he's going to go to the Sanhedrin. Those are all three Jewish trials. And they're going to take, they should take place in the temple. We'll talk about that in just a second. Then he's going to go to Pilate. Pilate's going to find him not guilty. He's going to send him to Herod. Herod's going to find him not guilty. He's going to come back to Pilate. He's going to go through six trials. Now, when does this start? This starts in the middle of the night. And under Jewish law, you could not have a trial that either started at night or finished at night. It was not allowed. They were only allowed to meet during the day. Now, do you see what's happening here? We have a, a mob that has come out and arrested Jesus... And they're first going to take him to Ananias. Now, I want you to notice where this takes place. Luke 22 tells us, having been arrested, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. This is Ananias. This is the first trial. They took him to his house. They didn't take him to the temple. That was where the Sanhedrin met, that was where the trial was supposed to take place. They take him to Ananias' house to be, to be heard. Look at verses eight, chapter 18, verses 19 through 24. And this is Ananias that they're talking about here. And the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. And Jesus answered him and said, I've spoken openly in the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. And I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. And when he said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is this, is that the way you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Ananias sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. I want you to understand Jewish law. In Jewish law, a prisoner could not be struck before he was found guilty. It was not allowed. Now the scene here, I want you to catch the scene. They've gone to, to Ananias' house. Everybody that could possibly jam into that little house was there. The Romans would have been outside. This is not a Roman court. All they're doing is trying to keep the peace. And, it, and, and at one point they're not going to be able to. 
They're trying to keep the peace. And inside this mockery of a trial goes on. And, and Ananias says, tell me what you spoke. And he said, where were you when I taught in the temple? Where were you when I taught in the synagogues? I didn't go out secretly getting people to follow me. It was all known. Ask them. Go ask the blind man. Go ask Bartimaeus. Go ask the lame man that was by the pool of Shalom that was healed. Go ask those who were healed in the temple. Go ask those who heard my words. And this, this temple guard punches Jesus. He says, how dare you? And Jesus corrects him. You strike me without a conviction? Wow. And immediately, Ananias sends him off to Caiaphas. That is going to be the next place that he goes. We've had one illegal trial already. He now sends him to Caiaphas. In Matthew chapter 26, it says, Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus, so that they might put him to death. And they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. They go to Caiaphas' house. Now Caiaphas, being the current high priest, would have had a bigger house. Nice big place for everybody to gather. He would throw these lavish dinners for the, for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He would entertain people. And so they come to, to Caiaphas' house. And this time it isn't just between Adias and Jesus. They're bringing false witnesses. But what are they going to say? What are they going to say to the man who never lied? What are they going to say to the man who always spoke truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. What can they say? They can't say any. Everyone, and, in the, and because this is the chaotic scene that it is, some were saying one thing and some were saying another. They couldn't even get their story straight. I don't know, how many of you have ever been in a, in a criminal trial? Okay, if you've ever been on a jury and you sat in a, or sat in a criminal trial, it's very interesting when somebody gets caught in a lie, isn't it? Oh, I, I, you know, and, and I'll tell you, attorneys are, I, thank you for them. I, they're not my, my biggest fans when I was, uh, when, when I, or I wasn't their biggest fan when I was in the police department. But you'd sit on, and you go, you know, and a lie would come out, and all of a sudden, you hear people, uh, 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 wait, uh, let, me re- let me review this. <laughs> they got caught. They got caught in their lie. A lie will will always be revealed. And in the midst of this, these false witnesses come forth. And finally they end up before the Sanhedrin. In Luke 22, 66, it says, When it was day, the council of the elders of the people assembled, both the chief priests and the scribes, and they led him away to their council chambers. Trial two is over with Caiaphas. They go to the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin could only meet during the day. This is the, so they're going to make a semblance of some sort of 
legal trial. And they go through this trial. And these false witnesses come up. And once again, it's, it's going back and forth. Nobody can, nobody can tell, keep their story straight. And finally, Caiaphas asked Jesus, Are you the Son of God? And he answers, I am. And he rises up and he says, We have blasphemy, you're guilty. He finds him guilty. Now, what should happen by, by uh, Jewish law? Jesus should be stoned. By Jewish law, he's been found guilty of blasphemy. He should have been taken out and stoned. We're going to see in the book of Acts with Stephen what happened when they claimed that Stephen had committed blasphemy. Immediately they took him outside the temple, took him outside the wall, and stoned him. That's what should have happened with Jesus. But we have a problem. And it's, it's Psalms chapter 22. If you've never read Psalms chapter 22 in light of, of Jesus' crucifixion, read the whole thing. But in chapter 22, verses 16 to 18, it says, For the dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. You see, there was a prophecy that needed to be fulfilled. And not even they realized it. But in their, in their angst against Jesus, in their mere hatred of who he was, stoning was not good enough. The Roman cohort is waiting where? Right outside. The Romans would not have come into the court unless there was a riot. So he's going to be turned over to the Romans because it's, it's just before the Passover. The Jews will not go into the Roman court. They'll stand outside. And they'll only send a representative in. And in John 18, 30, 28 through 38, we're going to see his first trial before Pilate. And when Jesus was led, when they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the Praetorium, that's the Roman government seat of justice, it was early. You get the picture? They've been up all night. They've been through the false trials. As soon as it turns daylight, they went into a sham of a trial before the Sanhedrin. Now very early... They go to the praetorium. They themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves. And judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. That's a lie. They could have stoned him. To fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? 
Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. Have you, what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this reason, I have been born And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate looks at him. He realizes he's stuck. They've handed him over. It's a huge Jewish holiday. Pilate is given the responsibility for keeping the peace in Jerusalem. Now, what is happening? It's daybreak, the day before the Passover. We have the cohort that have brought Jesus to him. We have the Jews that are... that. Now, the praetorium is just a short distance from the temple. And where are all the Jews headed to? They're headed to the temple. But all the chief priests are over here outside of the praetorium. We want, it, we want you to kill Jesus. We want you to do it. Take it off of our hands. So the crowd begins to get larger and larger as they're outside. What's going on? We heard this Jesus preach in the temple. He didn't seem like such a bad guy. But the chief priests and and those around him were beginning to to rile the crowd up. And Pilate is there and he's talking to them and he goes in and he talks with Jesus and, and he's like, give me something. Give me something in your defense. And Jesus said, yeah, I'm a king. I am the king of kings. I am the Lord of lords but my kingdom is not here on this earth. I'm not here to overthrow overthrow Caesar. I'm here to overthrow Satan. I'm here to overthrow death and sin. That's what I'm here for. He couldn't understand. And in Luke chapter 23, it tells us, and then Pilate said to the chief priest, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting. He stirs up the people, teaching over all Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. And when Pilate heard, he had asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at that time. Oh, I can get out of this. I don't have to worry. I'm going to send him to Herod. Herod was the one that was over all of Judea, all of Galilee, the northern part. I'm going I'm to get out of this. I'm going to send him to Herod. And we could look through and we could see how, how, uh, how Herod 
wants to hear because he had heard about who this Jesus was. And when Herod gets done with him, he says, there's nothing to this. Send him back to Pilate. I'm not going to take the rap on this one. You see what's happening with, the, with those unbelievers? I don't want to be the one. What if he's right? Have you ever thought about that? What if he's right? What if he is the Son of God? And I'm the one that gives him the death sentence. Wow. A little bit scary. Then we come to uh, John 18, 38 to 40. And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews. And he said to them, I find no fault in him, no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone to you on the Passover. Do you wish that I release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Not guilty. Not by my law. But just to make you guys feel better. I'm going, to be, I'm going to release you just like I do every year. I'm going to release to you. Now, who wouldn't want Jesus to be released? He heals people. He feeds people. He brings out the best in people. You have a choice to make. You can have Jesus or you can have Barabbas. Now, now what does the name Barabbas mean? Anybody, anybody have an idea? I think I've told you this before. but murder. No, doesn't mean murder. Barabbas, the name Barabbas, Bar means son, right? Bar in, in Hebrew is son. What is Abba? Father. Father. So my name would be Bar Honas. My father's John. This guy's name is son of a father. We would call him John Doe. He doesn't even have a, a, a heritage to fall back on. And it says, it says here he's a robber, but the reality is, is when you look at who Barabbas was, he was a leader of a revolt in which many people were killed. Who do you want? And the Jews cried out, we want Barabbas. And if you look at the other gospel accounts, you're going to find that in the midst of all of this, even, uh, even Pilate's wife comes out and said, I had a dream. Have nothing to do with this man. Pilate takes him, has him beaten, brings him out, and it says he washed his hands of the matter. He washed his hands. It's on you. If you want him crucified, it's on you. Looking at the Jewish people. The trials have ended. I want to finish with John 19 verses 14 to 16. 
Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, 6 a.m. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And so they handed him over to them to be crucified. Six trials. Jesus has not slept since the night before. He's been arrested, he's been bound. In a couple weeks, we will look at what he suffered during that last night until he gets to this place of the crucifixion. All of his wonderful apostles, the disciples, they've all fled. Peter's denied him. He stands alone. Is this your king? And all of the religious people said, we have no king but Caesar. They don't even acknowledge that they have a God. We have no king but Caesar. Jesus, through this time, is prepared now for the crucifixion. But I want to take you back. I want to take you back to that evening before, not 12 hours ago, Jesus sat at a table with his 12 around him. And he said, gentlemen, this is the last time I will eat this, eat a meal with you in this fashion. It's the last time we will celebrate the Passover together. And it says he took the bread And he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He he knew what was coming. He saw it. This is my body, which is broken for you. It's broken for you, even though I know that in a few hours from now, you're all going to run away. You're all going to leave me. but my body will be broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. And he says, this is the cup of the New Testament shed for the remission of sin. Take and drink. He said, guys, you don't understand, but before the night's over, my face is going to be beaten so that you will not even recognize me. My back will be scourged My flesh laid open. And then they'll nail me to a cross. And my blood will be shed for you. For what? For the remission of sin. Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. As we come to communion, communion's here in the center in the back two corners and the front two corners. The cups are stacked with the wafer at the bottom, the juice at the top. There's gluten-free option in the middle. And if you're, if you're here today and you're not a member of our church, but you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you're welcome to join us. 
If you would be kind enough to reach in the pew in front of you and use the hand sanitizer so we do this as sanitarily as we can. And I just want you to think about what Jesus was going through. And in the midst of all of that, he was thinking about you and me. He was thinking about that kid, 15 years old, that needed to know him, kneeling at Memorial Stadium and saying, thank you, Jesus. I am so glad that when I learned who Jesus was, I fell on my knees and proclaimed him as Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for all that you do for us, all that you did for us in sending your son to die on a cross, enduring the shame of the cross so that we could have eternal life. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.